Hello and welcome back to Cause and Tone of Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing The Lady of the Lake, Chapter 6, and I have with me my friend Jesse Rapier. Hello! Hello! Back again! And for the final epic. Yes, the the, the, the big one, the, the, the final book, though. We will be covering the prequel, at least I will, uh, after this. But this chapter is much more isolated than everything else. We've had, um, you know, a, a lot of uh, stuff in the future... Uh, with uh, Nimue and uh, Cod Weemers. And now we have, you know, Geralt leaving Tussaud, Siri in the uh, in the world of the NL. This is Yara, uh, a minor character who's been uh, reoccurring. So why this chapter? The return of the stick insect boy. <laughs> I found this chapter interesting as a kind of interlude, because as you said, this is a big departure from everything that this book has given us so far. Uh, I was kind of uh, unexpected at first. I was like, "Oh, really? We're we're going this guy again?" The you know series simp from like three books ago. But as the chapter continued, as I got into it, I was like, "Okay, this is actually really interesting. We're escaping the main character's focus, and we're seeing the larger picture of the world. You know, the war, which to be honest, most of the time I forget that the war is even happening because I'm so <laughs> you know I'm so focused on series bullshit. Like, you know, the poor trauma that girl's been through and all the characters. <laughs> so yeah, this is a nice little." grounded look at the you know the battle of the north and all that i was just thinking the fact that they got the fact they brought him back after all this time a nice way to show i mentioned this in the past i feel like a lot of this, sh- this series is about academics versus reality and i feel like he's a good example of that you know he's this temple monk boy uh he prides himself of being knowledgeable about you know reading scribes and all that but in the real world that means fuck all you know all his idealizations of patriotism of you know following his true love a, a woman he met some years ago who wasn't that interested in him uh it's mm. it's fun to have that kind of fantasy-led character thrown into this gritty situation mm-hmm. what's interesting about yara is that he is th- this character that as you say is the academic he's been he's grown up in this temple and so he uh you know because of that, he's lived a sheltered life. And we've seen other sheltered characters, uh, like uh, Siri when she first started out, or in this book, Anna Henrietta, who's never told the truth, uh, who's coddled as a ruler. Uh, and what's interesting is you take that naivete and you contrast it with the world weariness of Pike and his gang at the very beginning. And within that, you get like this examination of what uh, not only patriotism means, because that is a complicated subject that has many different pros and cons to it, but also what it means to be alive, what it means to be a good person. Uh, you know, in this story, in the saga, we've we've talked about how. Uh, Geralt's journey and, and Yennefer's journey and Ciri's journey is revolving around the rest of the world can go hang. I want my family. And here we have someone who's trying to uh, you know be better, be uh, you know take the moral high ground, join the army because you know things are not looking great for the North right now. Uh, and so, you know, at, at the end of the day, if you want to preserve your way of life, you got to fight for it. Freedom is not free. And so you contrast that with our main characters. I think that's so, so interesting because you have, in effect, you know, you have Sapkowski talking to himself 
you know, that, that at the end of the day, all you want is a family to be loved and, you know, a kid, a wife, husband, whatever, that the rest of the world doesn't matter outside your small circle. But also, part of you has to add to society in some way, some value. Otherwise, why were you put on this earth? And uh, Yara's having, you know, is the contrast of that of to be apathetic is to mean death. You know, apathy is to not care. So you need to care, but also at the same time, in order to be happy, you also have to not care. And so it's a, uh, and just care about your small circle. So there's like this contradiction in living life where you, where you both have to be, um, you know, singular focused on family uh, and then also care about the rest of the world. And so Yara and our main trio sort of contrast that view uh, where Sikowski sort of talking to himself. The reason why you need to care about the outside world, even though you don't really want to, and as part of the human experience is, are you apathetic or are you not, is that to to live the life you want, you have to earn it. A freedom isn't free. And that is the sad truth of the matter. Uh, and that means that as much as Geralt and Ciri and Yin, you want them to be happy, you want them to be, you know, uh, away from everything. And uh, to your point, you know, you forgot that the war was going on because you're focusing on the trauma and all of them, and they're not at all related to the war. I mean, the war is happening because of Ciri, but she's not at all connected to it. You know, uh, that because they're so isolated, they don't realize the sacrifices being made on their behalf. Even though they're anonymous in this situation, these sacrifices are being made essentially for them. Uh, and so Yara is the counterbalance to that. Sapkowski talking to himself and saying, yeah, I've talked about for seven books at this point, or six books, you know, that that you should focus on what's meaningful. So you know, family, friends, etc. But also that comes with the caveat that you have to at some point care about everything else. Then we've got Pike and his gang caring about the completely wrong things and just taking advantage yeah. of all the idealisms and naivety that Yara has. So I found that a very interesting contrast. I, I think the, 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 the most emblematic of the irony of that situation is when... Yara defends the merchant. You know, he earns the respect of the Lancenecks uh, when they they see this going on. But then, after they defend it from Pike and his gang, the, the highwaymen, the merchant reveals himself to be a snake oil salesman. Mm-hmm. Meaning that he is taking advantage of people's fear, their misery, their pain, to make profit. So... You, Yara and the, these Lancenecks defended a deplorable person. There's an irony there of, if we say freedom isn't free, that means that sometimes when we, when we take up arms to defend our way of life, that means we're also defending someone else who isn't as gracious, shall we say. Mm-hmm. There's always a guns manufacturer profiting from it all. Yep. We come across a few characters throughout this chapter, and some of them are from previous uh, books. Uh, Dennis Cranmer, um, Zoltan, Jarpin, the Hoffmeyer family, the, the related to the Biebervelts, 
you know, so like it's it's a it, you know it is this chapter is sort of like all the minor characters showing back up again. Yeah, I like that. I was pretty happy to see Sultan again. It's like ah, simpler days. <laughs> I don't know if you remember because this is like the very first book, and you've been going through this, and it's been a long time. Dennis Cranmer was the guard at uh, the Temple of Middle Italy when Geralt was challenged to a duel in last in the Last Wish. Oh, that was ages ago. <laughs> no, that would that would completely over my head. Yeah, that's Dennis Cranmer, and, and so I just thought that was so cool. Like it's showing that in all walks of life. People will make sacrifices, and they may make sacrifices for all the wrong reasons, all the right reasons. But that leads into the idea of patriotism, and in, in also into my questions for you. I, as an American, uh, and coming from a military family, have a complicated relationship with patriotism. Uh, so as someone who I don't believe comes from a military background and is from a different country, what is your view on patriotism and how that relates to this chapter? As you say, my family's not military, but they have been involved in there's history of the police there. I'm not, I suppose you could say that's some kind of patriotism. But my own personal view is, if you put your country before humanity in general, I think that's just a slippery slope towards more radical ideas. But personally, mm -hmm. I don't... I believe, up to a point, I believe patriotism can be reasonable, you know. Mm -hmm. But then there's the point of the... As we discussed many times, as this it's it's very ingrained in the us versus them. You know, if you believe mm -hmm. in just the flag, and everyone else, it, it are people in in those kind of people's eyes, they become the enemies or just the outsiders. I'm very strongly against that personally. Yeah, in my background, all of my family served at one point or another, with the exception of my immediate family. My dad almost got in. He was uh, in basic training. He wounded his leg and so wasn't able to join the Air Force. But, um, you know, all my grandparents served, you know, etc. And so, like, and I'm also a child of 1997, which means I was four years old when 9-11 happened. And that was a big thing in America. Big thing all around the world, but especially in the, you know, hyping up patriotism and jingoism in america and so my complicated view of it is that i think there's a fine line as you say that patriotism has different forms there's the one of just taking pride in where you're from everybody wants to feel like they are somebody and because because of that we define ourselves by things we've accomplished from where we're from you know, I'm I'm from Oklahoma in the United States. Like that means something to me. It may not mean something to anybody else, but it means something to me. And so there is that line of taking pride of where you're from. And there's also the belief that defense, you know, the but the belief that you have to fight for your freedom, that freedom isn't free, I think is a necessary understanding of the way the world works, is that you know, your life comes at a cost. You need to understand that cost. Uh, which is why I say add to society in some way. I'm a writer. I write. I, I do this podcast. I'm not going out and fighting for my freedom, but I am supplying, uh, you know, usefulness to the society, hopefully anyway, through my art. And that, to me, can be a form of patriotism. There is then the fine line of jingoism, 
which is uh, the belief in a flag above all else. Believe in people. That's that's the key. Uh, you know, a, a a flag is just a piece of cloth. And that piece of cloth may be symbolic, but name me an organization that hasn't done something bad in its history. Because there never will be. Everybody in every organization, country, whatever, has done something bad. And goodness knows America has, has its, uh, you know, red on its ledger. But understanding that and saying that I am still okay with where I'm from, that I am still, you know, willing to do what is necessary to keep my lifestyle, to keep everybody else's lifestyle here, I think is an understandable way of going through life. Um, I've been... But my relationship with the military has been complicated because, you know, while many of my family members served, I had never had any interest. And I saw, you know, the way in which the the military, you know, dehumanizes you, forces you to be a tool, forces you to be a weapon. And that really disgusted me. And so for years, I was really, really against... Uh, being in the military, and I don't know if you guys have that in the UK, but in the US, to sign up for student loans to go to university, as a male, I had to put my my name on the draft. I I had to say that I am okay to serve if we go to war, they draft me. This is something that's only required of men uh, in the US when applying for governmental student loans. I was just thinking it's so archaic, you know, it's yeah. such a throwback to the, you know, the Great War. It's ridiculous to have that in modern days, I think. Oh, I agree. And I really struggled with that because I wanted my education. And I was like, I can't, I don't have the money to do this otherwise. And so I did it. And I thought about ways to, uh, you know, you, you can you can write... Uh, on your your draft form that you're a conscientious projector, but at the end of the day, the draft is chosen by machine, and the machine ain't gonna care. And part of it became my understanding through not only my grandfather, who I've had a lot of conversations with, um, on my dad's side, but also my exploration through other media of what being a soldier is supposed to be, and what it's and what it's like, and what it's viewed as. And I began to understand that many people who join the military do it because they believe in doing something right, the moral right thing. Go and ask, you know, I, you know, if if any of them are still around, a veteran of World War II. And I, I saw an interview with one, and they talked. To, they were asked, you know, what do you think about being recognized as heroes? And the the guy said, I'm "Not a hero. I just did what I was supposed to do." Uh, you know, World War II was such a horrific war, uh, but we came out of that understanding that we had to fight. Otherwise, our entire livelihood would be at stake. When you look at it that way and you realize that a lot of them go in for a moral duty, a belief to do the right thing, there comes in contrast the way the military is perceived what the military does, and what people going into the military do, or in, in what they set out to do. And because of that, my relationship with patriotism is 
be proud of who you are, be proud of where you come from, and be willing to give your life for your fellow man. But do not put your flag above someone else's. Absolutely agree. Babylon 5 talked about this a lot, and uh, I, I, I think this comes, you know, uh, J. Michael Straczynski wasn't a person who served in the military, but he had such an interesting view of it, because a lot of his characters were military, and the, the way he described it is that when you put on that uniform, you feel 10 feet tall. You can do anything. But then your government tells you to do something you disagree with. Where does where does duty and honor end and begin? What is the difference between duty and honor? Uh, and that that's one of the central thesis statements of Babylon Five. But it's it's also something that's really stuck in my head, and I've grown to really like a lot of characters who def who are defined by that. I've I've noticed that in a lot of my fiction, I tend to, if I'm not liking like the the parental figure or the 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 clearly mentally ill figure, it's usually the soldier who is divided between what is right and what his government says. I think that's what defines patriotism to me: is doing right by your fellow man. I think is what it is to me. Do you have any uh you know thoughts on that? Because that was a bit. That was a bit heavy and a bit complicated. I was expecting it, uh, and I, I was wonderfully put. But yeah, like I, I think we can both agree with humanity first. You know, mm. uh, I'm hesitant to say stuff like this because you're American. I assume some of the listeners are Americans. Uh, but you know, there's, and you know, you know, England has its own fair share of uh, like people who go too far with the idea yeah. of I'll defend my country, but just for myself. You know, no one's allowed in. Uh, I shared with you mm -hmm. just this week, there's a new bill that's been pushed forwards uh, that's, you know, anti-immigrants. You know, if if there's any mm -hmm. footage of, you know, immigrants coming to boats that's shown in a positive light, uh, it'll be banned. And that disgusted me because, you know, this country's had yeah. long problems with immigrant problems and just this being another addition to it just greatly distressed me. As, you know, I think, as simplistic as it may be, I think purpose of life is helping people. I think you can build a stronger country to help to achieve that. You know, the stronger the country, the stronger resources we have to help not only ourselves but others. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the fact that some people in, in you know in that power disagree with that, you know, it's a massive conflict. You know, in personal belief and uh, realities of the world. Yeah, it's a thing where you know I, especially living in the times that we do. Uh, we have seen on both sides of the pond our fair share of not great people uh, using a flag as an excuse. And um, I think that does a disservice to a lot of people and to the country's name and whatnot. And I, I think that what they are showing is jingoism. You know, uh, you know, to to portray immigrants like that, like horrible people, according to that bill, you know, anything of good light, you know, must be censored. That's jingoism. That's the belief that you are better, your side of whatever side, that your country is the superior. And to me, patriotism is about 
responsibility and respect uh and not the belief in superiority i heard this once uh from my grandfather uh and it's something that i've stuck in my head which is you may not like what a soldier does you may not like the soldier but they damn well deserve your respect and i think that's my line is that patriotism isn't about belief of stronger better wiser it's about respect and about responsibility and to me that's the fine line it's quite disturbing uh to see not only you know my country do some pretty horrible stuff in the name of jingoism and patriotism but also to see others like yours um as recently as a few days ago do something that appalling uh because you know it might be naive but once again it's about responsibility and respect it's it, it's about the belief in helping others it's not you know i'm better i'm stronger and england we're still some still see us deeply connected to our our past with colonism you know just the other day someone mm-hmm. messaged oh you you shouldn't have an opinion you colonize it's like okay i'm gonna i'm not gonna respond to that but you know yeah that's still how the world sees us because of that terrible terrible things we did and it mm-hmm. should be our responsibility to improve ourselves to to make our things better so the fact that this you know we're, we're seemingly going in the complete opposite direction you're, you're trying to bring back the walls of the you know the great bullshit empire it's it's ridiculous it's a fallacy you know it's such a archaic mm-hmm. throwback mm-hmm. in the age-old cry of any any kind of authoritarianism is always it was better when uh, when x was a thing yeah the past was always better the grass was always greener um an idealized version of the past and i think that's when patriotism slips headlong into jingoism uh is that you know the sun never set on the british empire did it though you know it's such a nostalgic uh throwback that refuses to see the flaws or any other problems there was just perfection and that's the way that the authoritarians get you is because everybody uh everybody i've ever met longs for a time when things weren't as complicated problem is life is always complicated and it will always be this complicated it's not going to get easier it's not going to you know it's not going to get worse it's exactly the way it's always been um to pretend otherwise is a fallacy and i think that's right when patriotism slips right over that hill and starts falling into jingoism everything is simpler when you don't understand everything exactly so we covered uh most of the meat of my question uh so to go on a less heavy topic and something a bit less complicated i just want to get your feeling on you're only about uh six chapters away from the end of the saga and i don't know if you're going to go on to the prequel or read the short story alternate ending non-canonical thing i'll read the alternative ending because that interests me I might skip the prequel. Uh, I think you and me will chat about that when we get closer to it, but I'm definitely interested in the alternative ending. Alrighty. So I just want to get your feeling, now that you're very close to the end uh, of the journey, what's that What's that been like, and how that... Like, you, you've, you've surprised me 
uh, in the in the chapters that you've come on to of choosing chapters like this, which are very different from the ones I would choose if I was in your position. Out of interest, which ones were you expecting to be pick? There's one that you haven't got to yet. <laughs> so you might choose it. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, I expected, uh, you know, uh, for instance, uh, last book, uh, because that's safer territory, so I don't get into spoilers. I expected uh, to uh, to be exactly in one of the uh, the major Visigoda chapters. You know, we we ended up talking a little bit about that, but uh, the the chapters you were on were uh, you know related to other bits uh, and weren't as focused on Syria and Visigoda. So I was really surprised by that, um, and I, I honestly thought that we were going to talk more about the rats. Uh, stuff like that. For instance, as well, uh, in uh, Baptism of Fire, I expected you to uh, s- sort of come on at uh, at certain points when the Hansa was forming, uh, like when Milva decides enough is enough and basically treats Geralt like a child and spanks him uh, with a belt, basically. I expected you to come on to that chapter, stuff like that. So, like, You've you've chosen ones that I wasn't expecting. So, what's the journey been like, and the thought process in going and choosing chapters like this that aren't as connected or are connected, but in ways that you don't know yet? What's that been like over the past year and change time? I think I tend to go to chapters that I feel like go under the radar for most. You know, I feel like most people and you know, say similar podcasts or whatever will discuss the chapters with Geralt and the rats and all that. I kind of wanted to discuss. Stuff that resonated more with me. Uh, this chapter in particular, uh, a theme of patriotism. I felt like, oh yeah, there's something in that, and you certainly didn't disappoint on your end. That was the one. <laughs> yeah, I guess I wanted to serve. I wanted to look at the underrepresented part of the of the series. Uh, and overall, it's been mm-hmm. a interesting journey. I was going to save this to like possibly for a last recording we did. You know, we'll, we'll do. I think comparing the main saga to the short stories, I think I prefer the short stories. I think my favorite is still the second book, which is you know, the collection of short stories. Mm-hmm. Whenever I think of the franchise, I think of Shard of Ice. I think of the tragic love story. I think of the mermaids. Saga certainly has some high points, but I guess I'm more drawn towards the... I don't think simplicity is the right word, but I feel like that's the next thing, basically. You know, I feel like that second yeah. book sh- struck that tone of making fairy tales and add, throwing them into a more darker, mature, richly complex setting. Whereas with the saga, mm. I think kind of filler in between that juicy fat. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. <laughs> in, a, in a very loose way. Interesting. Uh, what about you? Do you have any have any comparisons between the original short stories and the larger saga? Well, I've seen this discussion on uh, on online forums before. And I have a complicated thing because I like both. But if I'm going to choose, like, if I'm just going to pick a Witcher book randomly off the shelf, I'm going to be picking one of the saga books. To me, that that longer flow uh, really suits me. I can understand why people really gravitate to the short stories. And I love the short stories, so it ain't going to bother me to talk about them. The saga resonates with me on a more personal level than the short stories do. Um, that that might be just my love of uh, you know longer 
serialized stories uh, coming from a comic book background, you know, that kind of thing. But I, I, I mean, the the fact that you like the short stories more is interesting. Uh, you haven't finished it yet. You haven't finished the books yet. So that you know, might change. This might this book might blow you away. I know it did Claudia. Uh, she really changed tune on this book and really was like, okay, this is this is pretty damn good. I have some hindsight about the larger stuff that's coming up. Uh, I, won't, I won't say them here just in case there's any mm. one, one or two listeners uh, who don't know yet. Yeah. But uh, I'm aware of a massive thing that will, ha- will come up later. But as you say, there's still... I still don't know the full picture. Uh, this, you know, the next six chapters will make up the final tapestry to the larger saga. And, you know, I'm I'm very much looking forward to it, and I hope if it does blow me away, I'll be more than happy to take back my previous claim and call this place uh, <laughs> a saga more. I think as it stands yeah. up at the moment, I think I'm more personally drawn towards that dark fairy tale route that the short stories had. Yeah, I feel like I feel like as the saga continues, it kind of went away from that. Roots. Mm. And you know, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think for it's like what Lord of the Rings did, it started off as that simple a fairy tale Tolkien was reading to his kids, and then as they grew up, he created Lord of the Rings to be that much more richly complex continuation of it. So I feel like it's following that same pattern. I mm. think that I think that's the natural way it should go. I think that's brilliant for any series to do that to naturally grow up with the audience. Yeah, I, I guess I'm just drawn more towards the second book had both, you know. The stories worked well, really standalone, but it also told a nice character progression of Geralt. Mm-hmm. I guess with the saga, it's more drawn out. You know, what it goes through is still very compelling stuff. I guess I prefer it more size. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that the the dark fairy tale thing was, um, you know, I've noticed that a lot of game fans. Uh, will come in, and that's what they're looking for. And so they'll they'll prefer the short stories because the the novels, you know, are are will have that aspect to them in certain ways. Uh, are more drawn out, more and far more about taking fantasy in general rather than just fairy tales in a certain direction. Um, I mean, uh. Oh, we'll we'll talk about it in a bit, but the the ending bit of this chapter is straight up him making fun of Tolkien, um, and so with that, you know, people tend to prefer the short stories, especially because the the, the games were very Geralt centric, whereas uh, and, and so are the short stories versus the books, which are very much about the trio and their individual journeys and how and what they mean to each other, but also the show. When he, uh, the Netflix show in particular, when it's when it was marketing its first season, uh, was really hyping onto that uh, dark, you know, fairy tale, uh, thing, and I think that's what really grabbed people, and that's certainly an interesting aspect of this franchise. I don't think it's the 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 aspect of the franchise that I really love the most. It's certainly an aspect I enjoy, but when I think of Witcher, I think of the family. I think of Geralt, Yennefer, and Ciri. And it's the characters that make this what it is to me. And uh, their journeys in the saga feel more impactful to me. I enjoy the short stories. I love them. Shard of Ice in particular is one of my all-time favorite short stories I've ever read. I still would pick up a, a you know, a, a Witcher novel before I'd pick up a short story just to read for pleasure. 
just because it, it, it strikes a tone with me. I, I, maybe it's just unique to the way I experience stories. I, I, I love stories that, uh, you know, take their time. Um, and as someone who wrote a lot of short stories in university, the biggest issue was trying to cram a story into that time frame. Uh, just because uh, I love stories that, uh, that have scope as well as range. Uh, and I think that's, that's part of it, but also my love of the characters. But no, it's interesting. Um, your overall reaction to this franchise, having come from the show, having some knowledge of the games, and now nearing the end of the books, you know, how, how has that been impacted by me, uh, you know, being the way I am and accidentally saying stuff I probably shouldn't have spoiled you on? <laughs> I'll forgive you. Your your passion has been invigorating this whole time. It's 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 been a real source of fuel for me to keep you know as all kinds of stuff is going on in my life to keep on reading these books to, to fall in love with them. Uh, probably not the not the exact same way as you, but in in my own way. Mm. You know, uh, I think as you say, some things were spoiled uh, from the show, from you, from my own you know careless research online. You know, I. I thought, okay, best check the wiki just to double check some stuff. I see status of character deceased. I'm like, oh bollocks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, maybe I yeah, maybe, so I don't exactly have the most uh, blind play, you know, read through that most people like you probably had. Uh, but then again, I suppose mm. some people came in from the video games into the books. Like I think you did, you did that. Yes, I did. So yeah, it's different for everyone. I didn't have the cleanest way yeah. into it, but like I said, you're a great source mm -hmm. to pushed me through, I was excited to see the end, uh, and now when the next season comes out, I'll be like you, I'll get into a fight with people online, saying, <laughs> well, actually, this is what the books did. Yeah. Uh, I look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I have divorced myself from that show to make myself mentally better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I wish I had the, your fortitude to be able to just steam through it anyway. I can't. I, I'm just like, no. But, uh, you know, I'm glad that my passion, you know, has helped in that regard because one thing I'm always scared about is that uh, uh, when I when I really love something, I really love something, uh, and I can be quite a forceful personality. Uh, I don't always mean to be, uh, but it's just my natural state, and so I'm always afraid I'm going to throw people off of certain things. Uh, so I'm really glad that that has kept you glued. And, uh, you know, I, I'm happy that these, uh, th these podcast episodes are sort of help solidify thoughts and, uh, you know, your, your own growing love of the series, even though it's of a different kind to mine, you know, that you, you love it in your own way. Uh, and I think that, that was the, the big takeaway, because when I did the uh, retrospective with Claudia, you know, she started out not really caring for the series, and it was it was a struggle. You know, as me being very passionate about things and her not really caring, and we got to a certain point in that switch, and she really grew to like the saga. But there was still some caveats, and because of that, I always fear that part of me as a person is sometimes hypey on something so bad that people get tired of hearing about it. Um, and so th that's what I was afraid might happen, but I'm glad that that hasn't. 
you know, with all that in mind, uh, you know, I we've talked about patriotism, we've talked about the the, the main meat of the chapter and the uh, the relationship with the franchise. Now, I just want to have one side thing about what was your reaction to the very end of this chapter? Ooh, I was, was going to ask. I was going to talk about that. Loved it. Uh, it, was, yeah. it was creepy and haunting, but it was like he fucking deserved it. Uh, mm -hmm. Mike and his gang. What what slobs? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was expecting to go in that equally dark, but more you know more disturbing direction of them getting what they wanted. You know, which is women, you know, plundering in more ways than one. But, yeah, the fact that they actually stood up and just fucking slaughtered them, loved it. That was very satisfying. Yeah, and the final line of, put them with the yeah, rest of them. Uh, like I said, very haunting. If this family were, were up against the, <laughs> the Emperor, we'd be done one book over. The Emperor would be dead within a few pages. <laughs> uh, what's funny to me is that it's the, it's the halflings. And this, to me, is a very conscious, and this will become, uh, there's another chapter in this book that will straight up mock Hobbit, in particular, um, that this is straight up uh, talking about Tolkien. Tolkien's halflings, or Hobbits, were uh, peace-loving hippies who liked to farm, right? Uh, and they, they didn't understand war or anything like that, so when the scouring the Shire happened, they just pretty much got conquered without much, you know, pushback. So Sapkowski goes, I don't think Tolkien lived in a world where you had to, you know, uh, defend, like Sapkowski did, because uh, he lived in Poland, and Poland is notoriously been conquered over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, so uh, even the most humble of people, uh, you know, know that history and in the olden times uh, would be, you know, willing to stand up for it. And so the Hoffmeyers, uh, who are related to the Bieberfelds by marriage, who, uh, which is the... Uh, uh, from Eternal Flame, it's the, it's the, uh, the Doppler halfling, uh, Dainty Biebervelt. Uh, and also related to the uh, the halflings that sheltered Geralt Yen and Ciri in time of contempt uh, on their farm. Uh, they uh, the moment they see an issue, they pull out crossbows. They immediately kill the guy and uh, and his entire gang. And there's that joke of you know uh, they were so quick that you that they killed them before they could say halflings are so quick and will easily kill you. Uh, and it's such a joke. On Tolkien, and I find that very amusing, because as someone who likes Tolkien but admits that there's bits of his uh, thing that is just very strange and very antiquated, uh, it, it's quite funny uh, to see someone uh, who comes from a similar stock uh, but a different country um, as Tolkien, and how that how he mocks Tolkien and you know also lifts up Tolkien uh and says this is great but probably wouldn't work so here's my idea it's true you, you don't want to fuck with farmers man they they will defend their cattle <laughs> yeah. to the death you know they've got all kinds of things trying to break their win and steal their shit so yeah they you know they've got all kinds <laughs> of rifles and traps ready mm -hmm. oh, I live in the countryside I've seen some <laughs> <laughs> so we say. 
Yeah, it reminded me very much of like um, bits of particular superhero comics like Watchmen or something where Alan Moore is like saying, yeah, this is cool, but this wouldn't work. And here's why. And to me, that struck me as a very similar thing of him just going, yeah, that's cool. The bee, peace loving farmers, but this is what's going to happen. And I thought that was that was cute and funny, um, was a nice bit of levity considering the chapter was quite uh, heavy in its topics, being that Yara thought he was going to some, per, uh, you know, uh, because of his learning, he was going to go through some specialized unit. He was going to be fantasy James Bond, right? And then he got put in the PFI, the poor fucking infantry, which means he's going to be one of the first on the line, and probably the first to die, you know? Uh, and what that means to be part of the infantry, and uh, they, 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 he goes through great pains to talk about how the war means more people, more people means more soldiers, more soldiers means a lack of hygiene, lack of hygiene means the spread of sickness and disease. Like, they're not even bothering to cover up manure, they just barrel it out and just dump it. Right? And so, like, this is not a pretty picture. And so to have something as funny and ridiculous as this ending is relieving, in a way. I just want to say, I just love the punchline of what the PFI really stood for. I feel like the whole chapter <laughs> yeah. was a dark build-up to that. And there was like a moment that, despite everything, just made me chuckle. Yeah, it was, it was, it was very Pratchett. <laughs> just that you're expecting yeah. one thing, and then it's just slapped you in the face with, no, this is what common people are really like even in fantasy world this is what they're like <laughs> yeah and the the, the build-up to it you know with the propaganda posters and the like the very uncle sam we need you kind of thing and the the conversations with dennis cranmer um and the other dwarves uh you know and the way dwarves solve promotion uh by just having a fist fight uh, and then uh, going from that very humble, very personable, and the, the the sad truth of the matter of the racism that you know don't you can't join our company because it's only for dwarves you think, and then in Dennis Kredmer's internal monologue he goes, it's because we're going to be sent to the places that we won't come back from, because we're not human, you know. To then go with poor Funkin Infantry is just it, it's. It's a punchline to a joke, a very dark joke. And like you said, very Pratchett in that way. So it is, since you have no more questions and I have no more questions, I'll go ahead and end this out. Uh, thank you again for joining me. My pleasure. I'll see you next time. I'm interested to see what's the final chapter you choose if you'd come on for another chapter this one. I'm very interested too. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'll see you then. And thank you for joining me. Bye. Bye.